In today's episode, Drew Howergan takes us through the philosophical journey of understanding that the past and the future are both in our imaginations and what we can do to harness that truth in order to discover who we really are. Are you hitting a wall in your business because you feel like you're too busy? Do you ever wish there were more hours in a day? This podcast is for hyper-focused entrepreneurs who want to learn the secrets of superhuman productivity. Together, we're going to kick procrastination in the teeth. We're going to slice through BS excuses like a katana blade. We don't ever wonder what happened because we're the ones that made it happen. My name is Josh Thomas. You've now entered the Do Zone. Welcome to the DZ Tribe. Waiting is a trap. There will always be reasons to wait. The truth is there are only two things in life, reasons and results. And reasons simply don't count. Robert Anthony. DZ Tribe, Josh Thomas. If you haven't already, check out thedozone.com for productivity tips, accountability, just a bunch of badass human beings looking to get more stuff done. Once again, that's thedozone.com. Today's guest is Drew Howergan. Drew is a financial planner, or as he likes to say, the Tom Brady of your finances, as well as a specialist in solar tax credits. Drew, welcome to the Do Zone. Say what's up to the tribe and tell us something you believe is the key to getting more stuff done that most people won't think of. Hey, thanks for the intro, Josh. It's a pleasure to be here. What's up, Do Zone? And I would say uh, one thing uh, as a productivity hack to get more stuff done is focusing on the now, just being present in the moment. Uh, and the reason being that if you don't, you might be thinking about the past, which could influence your decisions now. And if you're thinking about the future, you might feel like an imposter and not take the action that you need to take. So just focusing on what you want to be right now and acting as if I think will help you take more action. I love that. The uh, It reminds me of a, a really strong uh, statement that I read in a book one time. The book was called 10 Second Miracles. Uh, and I believe the author was Gay Hendricks. And uh, he was a therapist for couples. And he said very strongly, the past doesn't exist. The past is not real. The past and the future are both a myth that are made up in your mind. And they're essentially the same thing because it's all based on a memory that you had. And that memory could very be very skewed based on what your mindset was at that time. So That's right. And hence focus on the now. Focus on the now. And the other thing is the past sometimes betrays you uh, because yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know uh, to the extent that anybody else has seen this, but there was this uh, there was this researcher and his post has gone like super mega viral um, because there's a common trend that's happening right now where it says nobody wants to work anymore. And, you know, it didn't used to be that way. And so this researcher went back and he was like, well, is that actually true? And so he went back and he found an instance five years ago of somebody saying, well, people just don't want to work anymore. And 10 years ago and 20 and 30 and 50. And he went all the way back to 1894 and found a published newspaper article where somebody said, people Same just thing. don't want to work anymore. <laughs> they didn't yep. used to be that way. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of that has to do with 
uh, we tend to edit out how difficult and challenging things were back in the day uh, in favor of all of the good stuff because it takes more energy to think about negative stuff than it takes to think about positive stuff. Mm. So your memories are constantly betraying you. That's a that's a new take on it, but the 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 line of your memory is betraying you is regardless true because the way I was thinking about it was if you were a you, we we all know we've all heard the story about you know once you start looking for a red Corvette or for a Porsche or for a this or for a that and then you go out and get that car suddenly you start seeing it everywhere on the road mm-hmm. so if that is true then it also must be true that your memories are based off your perception of the world at that time that you are going through and experiencing that time. So if you had a different perspective at that time, your memory would be entirely different of that same experience. So therefore the past is a lie. Interesting. So the, the past that you remember is not necessarily the past that actually happened. Correct. That's called the frequency illusion, by the way, what you were talking about. Uh, You see a red Corvette and then all of a sudden, that they're everywhere. You just changed uh, your channel, right? You're tuning, tuned in. That's fascinating. Uh, and and I, very I love, fascinating. and I love where you're going with that. And, and, and with regard to what it has to do with productivity and entrepreneurship, we could draw a comparison to, you know, are you the person that you used to be? Well, who did you used to be? That person exactly. doesn't Who is telling you that story hmm. besides yourself? Because guess what? If you had a tragic accident and you came out of the hospital with an entirely clean slate, no memory of anything, no identity to who you used to be. And so as they're walking you out of the hospital, they can tell you one of two things. They can tell you that you were a deadbeat, you know, trucker or whatever. I don't want to name a profession to to single anybody out, but let's just say any any type of unhappy individual life not being successful and they told you on the way out that all your relationships were not well your income was not well your finances were not well your family was not well and you actually hit your head because you were depressed and tried to end your own life how do you think that your actions would follow if that was your perception of who you thought you were but simultaneously if they told you hey you were a billionaire you actually connected people and you built several successful companies you had amazing relationships and family life how do you think that person would go act so based on who they thought they were in the now they would go take two completely different paths at that point a a a good uh a good kind of easy to see uh relation to what you just shared there is uh, how you see children behave especially uh children who are brought up in uh, an encouraging and supportive environment to express themselves versus children who are brought up in an environment where they're supposed to kind of more suppress and repress their feelings and emotions. And mm-hmm. a lot of that has to do with the uh, the insecurities or the tendencies of their parents or their surroundings. Uh, I saw a, uh, a friend of mine has a little boy um, and he's super... Uh, happy and dancing around and and he's in these dance classes and he dances with the girls and he's like eight you know and me at eight i would be mortified to do that but 
and it's not because we're sex, such different people, but even my own daughter, when she was eight, uh, she was in dance and, and those types of things, but she wouldn't have, she wouldn't get out there and do these things that he's doing because the environment was different. And basically he was put into a place where mom encouraged this behavior and said, this is how we live. We express ourselves. Mom's a dancer. He's a dancer. You know, this is how we express ourselves. I am, I am showing you that this is an okay thing to be mm-hmm. versus somebody else who may be showing that kid, whether consciously or not, this is not an okay thing to be. We don't express ourselves. We have a little bit, we're a little bit more reserved and we're a little more conservative and we're held back, but mm-hmm. it's somebody else that's kind of dictating that for us. And at a certain point, as to your point here, at some, at some point we have to just assume the reins and we have to take responsibility for who's telling us who we are or who we used to be. Yeah. What's that narrative that you're telling yourself and what is it based on? Hmm. Well, that's a, that's a really good question. That's pretty hard to answer in one sitting, you know, (laughs) that's why there's therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Let's unpack that one. Yeah. Let's unpack that six hours later, you know, Drew and Josh are like sweating and drinking, taking shots on this podcast. Yeah. That's awesome. And so, uh, will tell me a little bit, Drew, uh, to the extent that you're comfortable, let's, let's go back a little bit and what led you into what you're doing now, because I know that you've gone through quite a bit of uh, a metamorphosis here in the last few years. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, depends on how far back I want to go. Um, just, right. Uh, just until it starts to get a little dark. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, let's see. I'll, 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 I'll go high level in the early days and then kind of get deeper in the more recent days. So I grew up in a town, like I like to say, with more cows than people. Uh, there was one flashing blinking light that most people never stopped at in the, in the center of town. And so I'm very thankful and grateful for that upbringing. I'm not talking about it negatively in any, in any way, but it did not necessarily tee me up for the life I'm living now. At the same time, it did, because obviously it led me to where I am, but the mindset wasn't there. The skill set was. Um, so fast forward to my early twenties, I was kind of, I grew up an athlete and I would, I'd always kind of been a leader, but then later into my, uh, high school days, I guess you could say I grew late. So I might not have been that, that leader from an athletic standpoint that I was used to being. So I went this, and and this took a lot of self-discovery and self-analysis to be able to like come to this realization. Um, I didn't know that this was happening at the time, but in my late teens and early 20s, I went through this kind of identity crisis where I no longer identified as a leader. I became a follower. And as a result, I was trying to fit in with all these different people. And to your point, it got really dark. I had no direction, no purpose. And I was just messing up everywhere I went and getting in trouble. And, uh, you know, I'll spare the details. But finally, I kind of got in enough trouble where I lost a job. I was a mover at the time making 14 bucks an hour. And, um, and, uh, yeah, just not making the best choices in life. Actually got a few really bad car accidents. And, uh, finally, like I said, gotten enough trouble where I lost a job and it, and it forced me to change my ways. I, uh, I went to a network marketing conference and I think to still to this day, it was kind of by fate. 
Um, yeah, those speakers in that room that day were, you know, quote unquote, speaking to me. And that really changed the direction of my life and how I thought about money and, um, you know, relationships and people. And uh, I never, I will never made $3,500 in that company, but I created a lot of relationships and skill sets that still carry with me to this day. Right. So actually my first recruit in that business is still to this day, my best friend, I'm the best man in his wedding next month. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he became actually were kind of foes in high school. Like he actually fought my previous best friend at one at a party one time. And so it's funny, everything comes full circle, right? So now we become best friends. He gets me a job at Verizon. So in 2014, I go into the wireless industry. I didn't know a sale from an insurance claim. I didn't know any of the backend processes. I was green as they come. That's where I really cut my teeth and got into kind of the leadership role again and really found, found my stride and what I, you know, how I could help people again and be that leader that I had previously, you know, uh, identified as, and then unknowingly kind of gotten away from. And so I kind of found that groove again. And then, um, in 2018, I went to the financial services and, uh, honestly, the first couple of firms I was with, I almost failed out of the business because there wasn't a lot of leadership. The leadership that was there was not aligned with my ethics and values. Um, so I was kind of stumbling around the industry, almost failing out, still pretty green with no process or, uh, you know, real leadership. And luckily I, I stuck around long enough to find the firm that I'm with now where I have, you know, ample resources and everything like that to, uh, to build my business and my, and my practice and my, and my network. So in a, in a, in a summary, that's kind of where I got to where I am now, but to your point, there is a lot of deep valleys and peaks and, and, and all that scattered throughout. Well, so it's, it's fascinating to me. There was, there was kind of some up and down in there. And uh, one of the things that really stood out is you went to some network marketing event. Yeah. That was like kind of the first of anything like it that I'd ever been to before. Like, Oh, I don't have to just lump furniture around for 10 hours a day to make money. I don't have to just trade my time for money. I can actually do work once teach somebody how to do it and then get paid over and over again. Yeah. Hmm. It's, and that's the, one of the most interesting things there is I know a lot of entrepreneurs and a surprising majority of them at one point or another got their start in network marketing. Oh, it's, I, I still, to this day, say a lot of good things or a lot of not so good things about the industry, but there's a lot of really good things about the industry as well. Yeah. And, and, and I won't say that they made money there, but something about the opportunity sparked, sparked, uh, a spark I only made $3,500 in that company in eight months. And I built a team of 43 people. Hmm. I didn't make, it wasn't the money, but to your point, I still have those relationships and that mindset and that shift that happened. And what it made me realize was too, I didn't realize how many similarities there were to business and farming and how many lessons my uncles and my, my elders had taught me such as leaders eat less. Everybody talks about this book, right? And it's one of the, the best or most uh, talked about sales and leadership books of all time. And I'd still never read it, but I know the premise of it because growing up as a farmer, my dad and my grandpa, and my uncles, they always said, you don't eat until the animals are fed. The animals eat first. 
And so it's very similar to like when you're running a team or you're leading other people, it's your duty to make sure like that leaders eat last. So there's a lot of correlations there as I got into this world um, of sales and business that I, I didn't realize I kind of already knew, but I had to connect the dots over time. Yeah. I, I love the connection you made about how many, how many connections there are between business and farming. Uh, I think that's a book in itself, man. And I think you should probably write it. I mean, know. dude, when I was like in high school, like spending the summers on my uncle's farm, waking up on his couch, six, 7am after haying all day, all day, the day before my eyes are swelled shut from all the hay chapped and the allergies. First thing I would hear is my uncle on the phone with what other farmers or grain dealers or corn sale, uh, seed salesmen or whoever it was to do what he needed to get done that day. And to me, it was just farming. But one day I remember he said to me, he was on the phone and uh, you know, we were watching the weather channel um, and because obviously as a farmer, like the weather is very uh, uh, big role in what you're going to do that day or that week. And so um, he said, Andrew, you ain't made a deal by 10 a.m. You're already behind. <laughs> <laughs> Wise words. So I, that still stuck with me once I got into the business world. I still think of that yeah. phrase often. I'm like, right. What have I done by 10 a.m.? Yeah. If you're hitting, if you're hitting lunchtime and you don't have a deal, you're like, dang, dang it. <laughs> if I haven't gotten something measurable done by 10, especially by 12, then yeah. uh, Uncle Dave's in the back of my head. That's right. Yeah. Well, so, you know, the interesting thing in, in your story is not uncommon uh, with the network marketing thing and, and drawing those relationships, being exposed to another way of thinking, basically. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not going to say anything negative about network marketing. Some of the most uh, influential and powerful and successful people I've ever met have come through that in one way or another, whether yep. they were big time players in, in that sort of industry or they, that was the spark just like you, you know, right. my very first entrepreneurial journey was joining a network marketing company. Actually, I, yeah. and I didn't make, I didn't make $3,500 in eight months by recruiting 43 people. I actually made zero dollars in like two years. <laughs> so, but what it did though, is it inspired me to go out there and look for another way to live, another way to create income. And if it hadn't been for that opportunity and that exposure, there's no way that I would be anywhere near where I am now. And so I'm very grateful that somebody's out there hawking that opportunity, however questionable it may be, because you're giving somebody a chance to think differently. And that worked for you. That's all it was, man. I can't, I remember when I went to that conference, if I'm being fully transparent, two weeks prior, I got a DUI. So my parents, and I, then I lost my job because my boss was like, well, you can't drive a moving truck anymore. Mm -hmm. So my parents were like, hey, you're going to take the $700 you have to your name and the next two paychecks that you're going to get. And you're going to sit here and stay home and you're going to save that money to pay your fines. You're going to have to pay mm. inevitably. Right. And I was like, I'm going to go have one last hurrah before that happens. Mm. And this, this, I got this invite to this network marketing company. Something was telling me I should go. I went, as we've talked about, that was the spark. I came back so fired up. My, I was like, dad, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start this company. And he actually gave me the 500 bucks to join after telling me like, Hey, you're 
you know, you're, they were like done with me and my, my BS at that point, but they could see something had changed. Mm. Right. And so I think to your point that changed everything forever because John became my first recruit. Then I ended up kind of living with him for a while. And I was seeing, he was making $10,000 a month at the time selling cell phones at Verizon at 20 years old. And I'm like, like that was insane amount of money to me at the time ten thousand dollars a month never heard anything like it um so yeah to your point it just it, it it literally set me on a completely new trajectory um and so it wasn't about the company or the opportunity or or any of that it was really just about that one that one change yeah man so you know you you're you're an interesting guy you you opened up this conversation going really really deep about the past uh so i'd love to just bust out the bone saw here and crack open your noggin and see how that brain works Are you ready for the Ooh. do zone diagnostic all right <laughs> okay cool so this is a series of five questions i ask every guest uh don't worry just rapid fire first thing that comes to mind okay uh number one what's one thing you do that keeps you focused on your goals make a list every day of my critical tasks that I need and want to get done. Great. And how do you get back on track, Drew, when you lose that focus? It, a lot of the time, it's either take a sabbatical, take, a, take some time to clear my head, and then lean in or just lean in. I mean, um, yeah, I guess I've trained that muscle to – just be consistent. And I know when I'm getting that resistance and when I don't do it is when I have, and I see so many other people self-sabotaging by not being consistent at the most critical time. So I try to take that and, and do the opposite. Got it. And who is your support group and how do they keep you accountable? It's a great question. So uh, as you may know, but the audience may or may not, I have uh, a great group of fellow business owners, entrepreneurs, and professionals um, called Apex that I really have a lot of personal relationships um, that help hold me accountable. They're kind of uh, on the same mission, on the same path, on the same mindset as me. I do have a few um, you know, local friends, but they're harder to come by in, in smaller pods, right? And uh, outside of that, um, some mentors that I'm, you know, and business partners, but it's it's all uh, kind of pulling from the same pool of people, honestly. Gotcha. And so, Drew, how do you approach a difficult project that you're not quite sure how to complete? Well, um, I definitely live by the motto of 80% done right now is better than 100% perfectly never done, right? Um, so just getting started imperfectly, taking imperfect action over waiting and being anxious and trying to get it just right before taking action. And then as I take that imperfect action, refining the process along the way, just running into those roadblocks and discovering whatever it is I need to do whatever I need, I need to change or whoever I may need to ask or plug in to help get over that hurdle. Maybe it's a skill set that I don't have or that I'm not as good at where I can pull somebody in. But until I, I, I take action and, and realize that problem, I can't diagnose it. So it's kind of uh, a, uh, what's they, what do they call it? Trial and error. There we go. Gotcha. 
Uh, last question, Drew, what's the number one pro tip you would give to somebody looking to get more stuff done in less time? You want to be balling, you got to be all in. <laughs> if you want to be balling, you got to be all in. Be all in. And that means uh, all in on everything you're doing, all in on your beliefs, being willing to, uh, you know, stand up for what you believe in, even when it might mean standing alone, all that stuff and really just being bold. I love it. And so speaking of being bold, this whole journey that you took, it eventually led you to financial services and you went through a couple of iterations there, but tell us a little bit about what you do now and who do you help and, and how do you help them? Yeah. So, uh, what I do now, I've really developed my skill set, my network, and my licensing and, uh, yeah, I guess licensing and qualifications, there's the word, high-performing professionals, entrepreneurs, and business owners to make, keep, and grow as much of their wealth as possible. I think, right, um, when it comes to financial planning and or, um, you know, business planning, really kind of integrating those things and, um like I said, playing Tom Brady of your finances, so to speak, I find so much that people really develop this financial junk drawer as they go through life and they make different decisions under different circumstances with different people along the way. And so a lot of the times we're looking at a situation through a, through a, through a splash, but not necessarily the ripple effects that might happen there. So my, my job is really to kind of, or what I really specialize in and, and, and work on now with, with people is, looking at things from a 30,000 foot view, really playing that macro manager and helping plug in the people that I know, like, and trust to help those people in, in the more micro areas that I see appropriate. Now, uh, tell me more about what you just said there, looking at the splash versus looking at the ripple. What does that mean? Can, can you expand upon that? Yeah, for sure. I think that's a super important aspect because the term financial planner or financial advisor, in my opinion, for lack of a better word, is a very bastardized term. It's thrown around a lot. So to the consumer or to the audience, it can seem like that word means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So you might have a financial advisor who talks about insurance. You might have one who talks about investments. You might have um, you know, a mortgage broker. You might have a CPA and all these things all these people are technically financial professionals in some capacity, but they are looking through your situation in one lens or one kind of dynamic of the kaleidoscope. But let's say you're starting a new business and this is a very simple example, not the most complex, but to easy to understand. Let's say you're starting a business and you want to pay as little tax as possible. So you have all these write-offs, but then you want to go buy a house two years later and the mortgage broker tells you, uh, psych, you have to show more income because you can't get qualified for this mortgage at that income level as a business owner. So now the great, the, the great decision that you thought you made here rippled over here and caused you an issue. So who is, who is playing quarterback to, in, to integrate in, in, in align all those decisions as they're happening to make sure that we don't run into those roadblocks down the road. Um, so that's really, that's really it. There's so many people who are really good at what they do in, in, in their own lane, but there's oftentimes gaps in efficiency and inefficiencies that happen when there's not somebody that's helping get all those people at the table at the same table. That's a real thing. Uh, I recently purchased a house. I know, I know it was the worst possible time to purchase a house, but I needed to. So, uh, and I ran into a, a, a very similar problem to what you described because 
uh, I did such a good job of uh, protecting my tax situation. Uh, when I applied for a mortgage, they were like, so are you like a homeless guy or <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, really guys, it's okay. I can, I can, I'm, I'm totally good for the mortgage. And they're like, uh, I don't know about this. And so we had to do all of these kind of last minute gymnastics so that I could qualify for a mortgage that I could more than qualify for based on my income. But the way that the taxes were structured, it just, it just didn't look like that on paper. And so mm -hmm. if I had, if I had had that kind of quarterback saying, all right, well, if you want to buy a house, then you got to do X, Y, and Z. I, I could see how that would immediately have impacted me. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not biased uh, either way you buy the house, who you buy it with, how you mortgage it. So I'm going to be completely unbiased and advocating for future you and kind of helping mitigate some of those big uh, pain in the butt or uh, costly issues that so, so much so often happen. And so, so who's a, who's a great candidate to do business with you and how can they reach you? So they can find me on my Facebook page at Drew Horgan or AP Horgan is my Instagram. Personally, I don't have a personal website yet, but you can find me at commonwealthfinancialgroup.com. That is Commonwealth, like the state of Massachusetts, all spelled out financialgroup.com. And then you can do find advisor and, and, and I'm, I'm right in there with my bio and my picture and everything like that. Um, but as far as like who I can help most ideally, this doesn't mean that, you know, you're not allowed to work with me if you don't exactly fit this avatar, but ideally um, someone who is seeing themselves as a, as a top performer, a dynamic individual who is growth driven, um, you know, becoming or already at and continuing to be the, the best version of themselves. So that means, Oftentimes, a leader in their industry or their company, a, a high income earner, um, who is, is who where generational wealth and family legacy is important to them. I think that is the biggest thing. Um, you know, obviously, I have to work with a certain income level of household or household income level to have the biggest impact. Um, but at the same time, they have to want to invest in themselves and their family to to set themselves up. I don't want to, you know, be uh, dragging people through the mud, as they say. So yeah, someone who is, uh, I guess, a top performer in their industry or their business and wants to create generational wealth. Awesome. Great. Uh, Drew Howergan, uh, one last question for you. Tell me, uh, I know that you have a bunch of random facts about Vermont. Tell mm. me, tell me one. We, that, didn't, that, we didn't get into that. That's a podcast. No, we did not. I want to, I want to hear, tell me something. It's like one of the States I've, I've been to 43 States and Vermont is not one of them. Uh, so I know literally nothing about it. How do you even pronounce the capital? I, I, I though, I call it Mont Peculiar or Mount Peculiar. <laughs> Because it's just a strange place. There's a lot of hippies and stuff there. It's like yeah. a cliche Vermont town um, yeah. with a lot of crunchy stuff going on. That is not Vermont as a whole, but the capital definitely fits that description. Got it. All yeah. right. Any any random trivia that you want to share with us for, for those of us who don't frequent Vermont? Well, there actually used to be, the, there's a Lake Champlain in Vermont. It's like the sixth largest freshwater lake in the country outside of the five great lakes it actually used to be considered a great lake and then they declassified it because they realized that as much as it is a big lake 
Um, it's nowhere near the size of the Great Lake. So I like to say that it's now a good lake. It's a good, it's a good lake. There you go. Lake Champlain. It's a good lake. It's good. It's a good lake. So <laughs> that's what we got going on in Vermont. <laughs> Very good. Awesome. Well, we're going to wrap from here. Uh, thanks so much to our guest, Andrew Howrigan, uh, for joining us and sharing some wisdom on how he gets stuff done. You can connect him on his Facebook or Instagram. One more time, how do we reach out to you, Drew? Yeah, Facebook is Drew Horrigan, just my first and last name. Instagram is AP Horrigan. And um, like that, www.commonwealthfinancialgroup.com um, forward slash advisors, and you can find me there. Excellent. If you're a busy entrepreneur looking to get to the next level, head over to thedozone.com for more productivity tips, tools, and strategies. Until next time, remember... We all have the same 24 hours in a day. What are you going to do with yours? I have a job for you. Open up your phone or get out a piece of paper and write down these three questions. Number one, what is one important task I can get completely done today? Number two, when can I start it? And number three, what impact will that have on my life? Now answer these questions as best you can every single day this week. Then commit to taking action daily. Now you're in the do zone, baby. Let's go. Need some help with accountability? Are you stuck where you're at and not sure how to break through the barrier in front of you? Join the DZ tribe for free by visiting thedozone.com. We're a group of hyperactive entrepreneurs who want to help you get more stuff done. Oh, one more thing. If you know somebody who needs to hear this message, share it with them. Text them, email them, send them a DM on social media, smoke signals, carrier pigeons, whatever. Be sure to tag us at The Do Zone. Also, keep the five-star written reviews coming over on iTunes. That helps new people find the show, hear it, and get themselves into The Do Zone as well. And always remember, the road to success is paved with imperfect action. So what are you waiting for? <laughs> Go do something already. See you next time.